Welcome to this week's Property Matters on Dublin South FM, the show that brings global trends to an Irish audience. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your host for today is myself, Carol Tallon. We've an interesting lineup ahead for today and first in studio with us is David Byrne, the newly appointed Managing Director of Lisney's. So David, you're very welcome. The last time you joined us in studio, you were head of residential. That's right, Carol. Con- thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. Well, congratulations on congratulations on your appointment. That's very significant. Um, and I know we, we just spoke about uh, Lisney last week published the outlook for 2020. That's right. Yeah, indeed. At the beginning of every year, uh, I guess we stand back and try and have a look and see what the year ahead is going to bring. Um, obviously, we're not only into a new year now, but a new decade. So um, there's there's lots to ponder on. We've come through, I suppose, quite a, a fascinating decade in some respects in terms of the property market and what's happened. Uh, and hopefully we're entering into a little bit more stability um, and, and hopefully maybe more exciting developments in, in the market in the, the decade ahead. Absolutely. There was something very reflective. I think New Year, you know, is always a time for reflection and new decades, particularly mm. so. But the last decade certainly must be one of the most interesting, um, yeah. you know, and and chaotic times in, in the marketplace. Oh, definitely. And I mean, it, you know, the marketplace is made up of people, as you know, and, and, and the decade had a profound effect on society, you know, in terms of what happened, the property market from the peak to the crash at the beginning of the decade, 2010, uh, through the recovery um, and back up to a kind of a more stable platform now. And, you know, I, I suppose the the interaction with people has been so interesting over that time. We have seen some terribly difficult stories where people have uh, faced severe financial difficulty due to, to property-related uh, decisions through a recovery where there is, I guess, an opportunity for people now. So it's, it's, it's actually a very interesting industry. It, of course, it's about property, but it's also very much about people. Yeah, I, I, um, certainly on the show here, you know, at least at least um, 30, 20 or 30 minutes every week we try to spend on technology. And one of the things that we're consistently trying to, to remind people is as we're bringing in new tools and technology, property is still about people from planning, construction, development, right through to delivering the end product. It's all for the people. It it is for the people. And of course, any of those decisions in whatever area of the market you're involved in are very significant decisions. Uh, So whilst there's much of our life we've been happy to let to the, you know, technological platforms, I suppose significant advice, there's nothing like sitting across the table and and speaking to somebody and hearing that that, that advice directly. Um, There's no doubt PropTech is going to have a significant impact on the property industry, I think, in the decade ahead. But I think people will remain fundamental to, to that piece. I don't... Uh, I don't think and I hope we're not replaced uh, by technology in the decade ahead. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think a couple of years ago, the technology, you know, there was certainly um, the technology has been spoken about in quite threatening terms uh, mm. to the profession. And mm. I think if anything, we've seen an evolution out of that where we're moving to this space as a service model. So, in fact, uh, property has always been a service model. Yes. Um, and technology will only ever be the tool for that service. 
I, I agree. I think, te- yeah, absolutely. Technology will be there to assist, if mm. you like, in the transaction of property. Um, but again, it, it's such a significant uh, decision for people to make, irrespective of what area of property they're in, uh, that people will, will remain uh, pivotal to it. I mean, it's funny, I, I read an article a number of years ago about the residential market and technology, you know, should just will replace estate agents. Should, you know, why do you need an estate agent? Uh, it can all be done online. And, you know, I suppose there's an element of that that at first glance appears to be true. Uh, and it was an article in the Financial Times. And what the journalist was essentially saying is you can't remove uh, emotion from property. It's very difficult, mm-hmm. particularly in the residential market. And, of course, the one thing technology doesn't do is, is emotion. Um, so from a residential perspective, there's a huge amount of uh, subjectivity in terms of the advice you have to give, depending on the circumstances somebody finds themselves in. Yeah, um, so a- no, I think absolutely. And in fact, I, I think a good rule of thumb there is that um, technology automates the processes. Exactly. And they are things we want to automate. Um, so, for example, I, I think the increased transparency is, is really important. Yeah, yeah. And Th- that's that's in line with changing trends and buyers. So obviously you've been in the marketplace for a long time. Yeah. You know, as an organisation, what kind of changing trends are you seeing with the buyers coming into you? Well, it's 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 interesting. I mean, transparency, as you say, is a really critical factor. Um, and I, I think, you know, let's call a spade a spade. One of the issues the industry has had is perhaps people's view that, you know, there's more going on behind the scenes that they're, than they're actually being told about, which there, there, there isn't. I mean, the, the industry is very heavily regulated and, and rightly so. Um, but we live in a world now where we pick up our smartphone and we expect to see everything in front of our eyes straight away. So I think that's yeah. where technology will evolve to. Um, so, you know, if you're placing an offer in a property, the ability to open your, your device and see what your offer is, what all the other offers are, uh, would be terribly important. It's it's information that should be made available immediately to people. Um, well, the information that's otherwise made available if you phone the office. Yes, yeah, 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 absolutely. But if you think about all of the transactions people do on their phone now, you know, and I guess that, that hackney term of people who are time poor on the bus in the morning, checking their phone, their emails, their bank accounts or whatever, the, the, property, the property industry needs to develop towards that space. Um, where information is more readily available. Mm-hmm. Um, when I started in, in Lisney 20 years ago, uh, the property supplement came out on a Thursday, and that was the busiest day of the week in the office. The phone would ring. That must be the Irish the Times hook. one. The Irish Times. Ha- has it changed much? Well, it, it, what, what's been fascinating is that, you know, 20 years ago, the, 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 web, or the World Wide Web yeah. wasn't a feature in our, our yeah. day-to-day lives. Uh, so the phones would ring people asking questions. Of course, now everything is online. So the phone doesn't ring particularly more on a mm. Thursday than it does any other day of the week. Um, and I think that will become uh, an increasing fa- feature of the market as, as we move forward. But as you say, when it comes down to the critical piece of needing to make a decision, needing that p- p- advice, people pick up the phone. People want to speak to somebody. Yeah. Um, See, trust, this is still one of the largest transactions. So whether we're talking about residential you're, uh, for a first time buyer or a family trading up and down or right through to investors and investors for commercial properties or occupiers for commercial property, this is a business that can only survive on trust. Yes. And I think the shape of trust has changed 
over has. over the past few decades. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, I, you know, in a positive way, mm-hmm. in a sense that I think, dare I say, it has actually shaped the industry in a positive way. Tr- trust has become absolutely critical. So people won't accept anymore mm-hmm. uh, interacting in a business ma- manner with an industry that they don't trust. They just yeah. will fundamentally step back from it. So it organically has kind of forced the industry that, you know, would have been dogged by kind of a poor reputation in the past uh, into a space that uh, you have to operate in a manner that that is trustful and people intrinsically uh, have that trust in you in the service that you're providing. And I think that that's always been very much to our core value in, in Lisney. We're 85 years in existence. Thankfully, I'm not there 85 years <laughs> myself. Um, but that, that is absolutely to our core. It's t- trust, integrity. Um, and they're the brands, I think, that survive. And, and they're the people that survive in the industry that develop this rapport in the industry th- that you can trust. And I think that's one of the key things that we learned over the past decade when all else was chaotic. People did gravitate to, to the brands that had well that were well established in the yes. Irish marketplace, you know, and and by the way, that's that's rightly so. That's why brands deserve the respect and credibility that they spend decades building sure. up. Yeah, um, absolutely. But I always think it's it's interesting to watch the changing trends because from what I can see um, over the past decade and a half, the the trends seem to be getting shorter. So we're seeing changes, um, you know on an annual and, and, you know, on a two and three year basis, maybe that we mightn't have seen for a decade before that. Yeah. And I, I don't think technology is the only driver for that. Um, you know, so, for example, we're seeing a huge uh, shift in priorities towards sustainability. And Absolutely. The, the real estate sector has a huge part to play in that. Is that something that's on your agenda? Yeah, very much so. So, you know, I suppose when I referenced exciting things to, mm. to, to happen in the decade ahead, I think this is going to be the fundamental focus for the, the, the real estate sector in, in the decade ahead. This, uh, I suppose, look, this global movement um, of an enhanced awareness of the importance of climate change, uh, of sustainability, not only of the buildings we live in, but, you know, the products we consume and this is going to have to become a very significant component part of the industry in, in, in the decade ahead. We're already seeing it, but I think we're actually only beginning to see the tip of the iceberg of it. Yeah, um, I, I agree. And I think um, within listeners, you obviously have a good global um, overview of the marketplace because you're dealing right across residential and commercial. Um, you mentioned before we came on air that uh, two thirds of, of the work at the moment is... Two thirds of our business would commercial. be commercial valuations, professional services, and one third residential. residential. So we have a broad spectrum uh, of, of view across the business, or the, the industry in its entirety. And uh, in terms of commercial property trends, you know, it's funny. I, I was just remarking to somebody earlier today that I can remember reading a media piece from Ireland um, just maybe three or four years ago saying that we couldn't possibly we couldn't possibly fill all these offices we're building. I know. And now we're seeing that actually um, offices are being the the demand or the you know the supply is being swallowed up as soon as it's been delivered and before it's before been it's delivered, been delivered. Yeah. to the marketplace. Yeah. So you know where is your overview on offices for 2020? 
Well, I think if you know, if, if you if you look back ten years, I think it would have been hard to even comprehend that we'd be in this space now. Um, the tech sector is such a significant sector in in Dublin and indeed Cork. Um, you know, fifty percent of all. Uh, occupancy over the last four years has been taken up by the tech sector. Do you it's, see that as being sustainable? I think Ireland is a very a very favourable environment in which uh, to do business for, for the tech sector. Obviously, I guess it does provide a vulnerability uh, to the, the, the economy as a whole if, if there was any unforeseen uh, circumstance that was resulting in these companies withdrawing from Ireland. But if you look at the investment that they are making uh, in terms of I suppose, setting down roots in Ireland. Um, I think, yes, it is sustainable, of course. One would never like to see it overtake the market entirely. Um, What has happened in the office sector is there now is a kind of a two-tier market. So you have these tech giants, as it were, who come in, who have such financial firepower that rent is actually secondary to what they want. They want, you know, facilities, they want amenities, they want the location, and they they can have the pick of offices they want. And then you've got the professional service firms, the indigenous firms that would have made up the occupiers of the prestigious offices in, in Dublin in years past, professional services firms, uh, that are actually struggling to compete. Yeah. Um, so I think we've got to find a fine balance mm-hmm. between uh, creating room for the indigenous businesses to, to, to still exist in our city yeah. alongside the, the tech sector. But that would require further development. And that's so important. I think it's interesting when you talk about um, maybe for these office occupiers that the value of the the rent, that's not a primary concern. It really is about the amenities. And I remember quite, um, you know, maybe just in early 2019, I read a piece from uh, UK, I think possibly a States Gazette, talking mm. about um, the office arms race. So essentially that um, the the competition to raise the bar on each new office delivered um, has has just you know it's 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 become something that we couldn't ever have imagined in no, the office space. No, well, I mean, again, look back at the the skeleton that was, you know, the the the, the former Anglo Irish building lying uh, idle on the docks, yeah. to the central bank being there now. I mean, the facilities it, it, it's fr- it's frightening and in in office space from, you know. Uh, gyms, swimming pools, um, cafeterias that are world-class dining inside the office where people don't actually have to leave their office um, from morning to night, which, of course, Google was so famous for um, providing these phenomenal facilities for staff, which actually were ultimately about kind of keeping the staff in the the working environment. it is a remarkable change in, in office space. And in, in actual fact, it plays a, com- a component part in attracting talent. Yeah. So if you're coming out of school or college now, you know, the ability to go in and work in an office with a gym and a swimming pool and a cafeteria and all these things, that's that's remarkable. I mean, that's Are we starting to see a shift, though, in uh, like just towards the end of last year, I saw I, th- I think it was Hibernia on one of their buildings, maybe uh, one when Mill Lane um, yes. had, had welcomed beehives. And yes. so suddenly are, are we shifting from those perks or uh, extras in the office becoming more about feeding into a sustainable environment, you know, and, and if so, how, why, how, who's driving that? Yeah, I think, well, sustainability is, is a, you know, sustainability is at the individual level, but it's also at uh, the corporate level. And most definitely the 
you might say the demographic that are most acutely aware of climate change and sustainability are actually the 20-somethings coming mm-hmm. out of uh, school and college now. And, you know, as important to them as the facilities are the sustainability of the building that they're working in. So again, at a commercial level, the um, you know the commercial entities are having to to respond to this, be socially responsible, and and develop office buildings that are are sustainable. Well, you know maybe maybe on that in, in that whole vein, just before we let you go, I, maybe we could have a quick chat about the um, the ENZEB, the near uh, zero energy building. Yes. You know yeah. how you think that's likely to impact the market. Yeah, I think it's going to be... Uh, I, look, I think it's a welcome development. It mm-hmm. was always going to be a hard transition for us, to, to, particularly in the residential sector, to get from our traditional you know, 40s, 50s housing stock suddenly up to these A-rated houses. Um, but you know, from December 2020, all new homes will have to be A2. Um, all second-hand residential properties that are substantially refurbished will have to be a B2 rating. And there's a bit of pain in all of that for the person who owns a second-hand house, if you like, because the cost of bringing... And our vendors, when um, potential or would-be vendors are coming to you, are they aware of this even? I think there's only beginning to be an awareness of it now, to be honest with you. So there's a bit of an education process that needs to happen. Definitely, yeah. Okay, and say for buyers coming in, is this uh, is this something that's high on their priorities? Yeah, yes, yeah. Buyers are probably more aware of it, certainly mm-hmm. even in the last tw- 12 months, as you were referring to changing trends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when building energy rating certificates came in, people spoke about them a lot, but all they did was actually grade the building, if you like, as to how energy efficient it was. Now buyers are acutely aware of the cost of running a building, how energy efficient it is. Um, And of course, that's the attraction of new homes, um, which is a significant advantage to somebody buying a new home. I guess all the hard work has been done for them. But, you know, you've got the the factor of the cost, the the cost efficiency of running the the, the building or your home. And then the the, the zero energy... um, emittance of carbon dioxide into the environment, if you like. So there's a kind of a dual feel-good factor there in terms of your occupation of a home or an office. But it's right across the property sector. Yeah, and that seems to be, in fact, uh, we had um, Barry... Barry Cull from uh, Head of Homes in South Dublin from AIB in with oh, us yeah, last week yeah. and he talked about uh, AIB introducing the new green mortgage yes. um, at lower interest rates. So it's good to see that level of consistency because that's where we're, start, we're going to start to promote the culture shift that's needed. Um, so again, it's a very positive thing. So David, thank you so much for being with us today. That was David Byrne, Managing Director of Lisney's. Um, stay tuned. After the break, we'll be speaking to Thomas Campbell, Director of the TA Group. Broadcasting to South Dublin on 93.9. This is Dublin South FM. Now, welcome back to Property Matters here in Dublin South FM with myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. So as mentioned before the break, we're joined by Thomas Campbell, Director of TA Group. Thomas, you're very welcome. Thanks you might tell much. us a little bit about TA Group. Yes, so uh, TA Group, um, we're a complete... Uh, service provider to the building and civil, en- civil engineering sector. So to, to go into a bit more detail on that, we provide planning, architectural, engineering services, mechanical, electrical, fire engineering to, to the civil engineering and building sector. I suppose the, the background to it um, 
is I, I'm a civil engineer myself, a chartered civil engineer, and work predominantly in the water and wastewater sector uh, where the design-build model is, is very common for above-ground infrastructure. So I took that model and introduced it to the, the residential sector. Um, so we we're, we can combine the design, the design-build, and the build element uh, together, which, which I suppose removes a lot of the pitfalls that you can have, in, especially in building control elements and, and compliance. Okay, very and do you operate, I know you're based in Mayo, yes. but do you operate in the region or nationally? So we, we operate nationally. So um, to give you a little taste of the projects we're involved in, um, we're working with the Carlow County Council in delivery of uh, 50 social houses. So we're acting as the civil and structural consultant, the assigned certifier and, and, and building control compliance. We're also just kicked off with our first project with the Department of Education, um, a two-classroom extension and we're acting there as the assigned certifier and fire engineer. And we're part of a, a larger design team where the Department of Education are, are the architect and there's separately appointed uh, civil and social cons- uh, consultants and m and consultants. Um, our third project is is a build-only project. Uh, I can't talk too much about it just yet, but it's uh, enabling works, specialised civil engineering works. And our, our, our last project, which is our flag, flagship project, is a development we hope to bring to market in Kelchma in Mayo in 2020. Is that a residential? A residential development. So this development was procured by TA Group. It was architecturally designed by ourselves. We achieved planning just before Christmas. So we're now in our marketing phase and... Um, uh, kind of financial setup phase for the development. So that's a big transition for an engineering firm. Yes, well, I suppose, like I said, taking the the design build model um, and coming out of the the, the civil engineering sector, um, I happen to specialise in the role of a science certifier in a, in a previous life uh, for the building elements of those projects. So. Um, residential building wasn't um, uncommon to me. So, like I said, we we brought that model to the residential sector. So, like I said, that development will be the first INZEB development in Mayo, hopefully in in 2020. Um, And it's, like I said, it's our flagship. It it combines all our talents um, that we can take the project from conception to completion. Very good. Well, there's a couple of things I want to ask you about there, but actually, first Broadly, um, how is the the residential market in Mayo and in and around Kilchmal? So, I suppose like like every place outside Dublin, there, the demand is there. There was always a demand there. the The issue is um, the cost of delivering new homes um, to the new standard, and the the struggle that people have in getting mortgages um, nowadays. Um, and it's but, up- uh, you know, I'm I'm just going to kind of stop you there, just. Because we talk about demand, yeah. but um, in fact, you know, earlier earlier um, this month, I spoke to a developer and he really challenged me to qualify demand. Like, can we say we have demand for 35,000 homes per year or even break that down regionally when the those 35,000 would not qualify under the new um, central bank macro potential rules. So, you know, do we need to be more realistic and say under the lending guidelines that we have in Ireland, we have qualified demand of possibly 20,000 per year and then suddenly that changes? Yes, that's 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 a valid point and, and that's kind of along the lines that, that I, I, I was talking about or, or, or I've thought about is we have, if, if you take each element 
and, and look at an isolation, which I think, unfortunately, maybe our policymakers are, are doing. So you have your lending bank rules, um, which are a good thing, you know, um, keep control on, on spending and mortgages. You have the, the new building control and compliance element, again, is very good for, for new buildings and bringing them up to the most efficient that we can do. But then try and marry those together. There, there's a mis- mismatch. It, and that's it pushing work. viability of development projects in many areas. Absolutely. And I, I know, you know, you preface this this point by saying that um, places outside of Dublin, but the reality is home builders in Dublin would say that that actually, you know, um, there are viability issues in Dublin as well because we're at peak affordability. And I think just before Christmas, um, the Construction Industry Federation, the CIF, they fed into an article in the Irish Independent that said, actually, um, really, we're pushed in terms of affordability. The market can't pay anymore. So it's not a case of delivery. So have we have we overcorrected with our building standards? Um, From an assigned point, assigned uh, person and assigned certifier point of view, absolutely not. Um, I think that was one area that was uh, lacking. there was no oversight, there was no inspection, there was no control. So that, that area is correct. There has been some thought on, well, is an A2 home uh, the most uh, efficient uh, from, from a carbon footprint point of view when you consider all the elements that goes into a an A2 rated home? Um, I do think that the, the big difference, say, from an A3 to an A2 rated home is your mechanical ventilation. So nowadays... For an A2 home, you have to have your, your, your mechanical ventilation. Me personally, I think that's a, a, a more important point from a health point of view because currently a lot of A3 rated homes aren't ventilated correctly and you get uh, buildup of mould or you have health issues. So from that point of view, I, I think it's correct. But going back to overcorrection, I know, I suppose, the government have been allergic to do anything that might stimulate or help the the delivery of of homes like uh, uh, do you do you mean incentivize to be seen to incentivize de- um development yes like but yet the help to buy scheme um the help to buy scheme is very much a supply side initiative so it is it is support for developers just um under a more politically palatable way of distribution or distributing it yes like I, i've i've thought about the you know removal of VAT has been talked about a number of times, and mm-hmm. they say okay the house prices will just go up. Well, for instance, if Pascal Dunn, who was sitting here in the room tonight, I know what what the houses in Kelchma are going to cost. If Pascal Dunn, who turned around to me and said, yeah, we'll write the VAT off this, my house prices is going to stay the same. Currently, the VAT between VAT and local contributions to to Mayor County Council that equates to almost eighteen percent of the cost of delivery of the home. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a big difference between the cost of a home to build and the cost to deliver to deliver a home when you add in uh, contributions fat um comparing that to the actual the build cost yeah um right but sorry did you say that if the vat was taken off today the the cost would still be the same no say say the, the sale price to to the homeowner would all, all of a sudden would drop by 17 or 18% uh, okay t- taking our yeah. development in in mayo um because the the vat uh the fat is going directly, obviously, to, to, to the government. Okay, and uh, why do you think that this hasn't happened? Because I know, again, it's something that uh, lobby groups within the industry really were quite um, persistent about, you know, maybe two years ago. Yeah. And then last year, that seemed to fall off the agenda. Was it that, that we gave up on it? 
that, that that's a possibility. Um, I suppose the the risk to a policy like that is future developments that that haven't launched yet or there isn't a sale price set on it yet. If they've seen the VAT removed from 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 property, well, then they're going to creep up their price. And and by the way, that's exactly the argument that's yes. made against this. But it's, but yet, you know, we saw it work efficiently for the tourism industry. So yeah. is there something that could be done on a temporary basis? I think so. I think I think developers that have um, developments ready to go, they know what their cost base is. They know what their sale price is. I think if something in the short term could be done for those developments, that. Uh, you know, over the next two, three year period, because um, those projects are in the pipeline. It's just the, the viability element of it. Okay, well then let's let's stick looking west at the residential market for um, a moment, if we can. You know, in Dublin we see um, a, a huge increase in uh, the private rented sector, the PRS uh, yes. delivery. We're not seeing that outside of outside of certainly the main urban centres at the moment. So. Say if we accept that there is residential demand on the sales part, um, yes. point of view, what, what, um, where are we in terms of rentals? Um, to, like we've looked at the Galway market yeah. previously, but if we look at the Mayo market, um, well, I say, so say take the big urban areas in Mayo. You're talking about yeah. your Castle Bars and your Westports. And I think, do you know? Actually, it feels almost flippant to include them in the same marketplace because obviously there's a world of difference between Castlebar and Westport. There, there, there is. Um, I, I think the short answer is for the, for the large institution rental bodies, the volume wouldn't wouldn't be in those towns. Um, yeah. That's that's kind of the short answer. But in terms of the actual rent that people are paying, um, they're 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 like up they're up on seven eight hundred euros for a three bed semi detached house. And um, where where is the supply and demand? You know where is that sitting at the moment? So. Um, for the people who are currently seeking rental accommodation, is there supply there um, across the county, not necessarily in the larger towns? It, it is a very, very limited supply. Anything that of quality is, is long gone. So it, it really, people are, are scrounging around for whatever is left. Um, for the, for example, in in Kelchman, surrounding towns, there has been no new development for 12, 13 years. Mm-hmm. So you have people um, in rented accommodation who would love to buy um, and are probably in a reasonable position to go to the bank and get mortgage approval but there's nothing out there for them, for to, them to, buy. to buy. So the scheme that you're looking that you're working on delivering in Kilchamaw how many houses? So there's four, or is it houses? Yeah, I, yeah. I assumed. Four, yes, yeah, correct. There's 14 homes um, 10 semi-detached homes and 4 detached homes. Um, Will they fall into the price range of first-time buyers or are you aiming more towards um, people trading up? So the, the semi-detached homes most certainly will fall into the first-time buyer bracket. Um, the detached homes we're hoping you might have people already in in semi-detached units that would like to to upscale because the detached homes uh, can be arranged as a four or a five bed. They're up on 1,800 square foot. Um, they're, they're a large house. Likewise, the semi-detached units are up on uh, 1,250 square foot. So they're, they're, they're decent sized homes. Um, we've we spent a lot of time in planning them uh, to, to make them as family friendly as possible. Uh, we actually arrange them that they can be open plan so you have sunlight passing from the front of the house to the back of the house sometimes you can have an issue with semi-detached units where the kitchens can be quite dark mm-hmm. um, so we've incorporated a sunroom to the rear of all the properties to I suppose encourage the, the most uh, inviting atmosphere possible and make make it a home as I said uh, a, f- a home for a family designed by a family That's that was our approach Okay and uh, you know again that, that does sound very idealistic um, 
do you know in terms of price point where these are likely to fall or what range? Yeah, so the starting home is it, it what we call it a starting home um, price wise they're going to start at one hundred eighty five thousand euros for, for for a three bed semi detached house. With sunroom, and these are twelve hundred square feet plus. Yes, plus with sunroom. Yes, I, I think it, it, listeners it, in Dublin might be a, might be a little bit frustrated to hear that. Well, that that's it. I like I have friends who have who have bought in Dublin, um, and like when you see the prices that they're paying, and I come back to my point. There's a co- there's a cost difference. There's a big difference between building a home and delivery of a home. Like mm-hmm. a block is a block is a block relatively to where you buy it it's it's land cost it's contributions mm-hmm. obviously there's a, a bit more premium on labour demand in, in the greater urban areas but in the terms of the raw material it's it's the same price Yeah and but then where are we in terms of employment opportunities so for example you know you mentioned that you have friends who have bought in Dublin and, and yeah. certainly I, I lived for a time in Kerry and I would know people who who bought or built their homes in Kerry Yes, and they're renting at extort, at extraordinary prices up in Dublin because they would love to move home they have an empty house sitting near family land at home Yes, but they can't because there's no jobs so you know there's been huge progress in terms of initiatives like Grow Remote and um um, uh, the Western Economic Corridor to try and encourage entrepreneurship and and self employment and industry in yes. those areas. Yeah. But is that having an effect? Can uh, you feel the effect? Y- well, you, you can. Uh, like I'll go back to say that the, again, the two large urban areas, Westport and Casper. There's some big employers in those two towns, and I, I have other co- friends who who worked, who finished in college in Dublin, worked in Dublin for years, and now have moved west. They've started a young family, and. When they sat down and did the numbers, while in Dublin you can demand a larger salary, when you take in the cost of accommodation or rent and travel time, when you add it all up, okay, the salary might be that bit less in in, in the West, but it's it's of better value to to you when you uh, put a value on your time. Yeah, no, and I, I think that's interesting. And, you know, it's funny, whenever we talk about this um, um, kind of, Eastern Western divide as such it always comes down to the employment yeah. opportunities and yet what we're hearing across the construction sector in particular uh, what we're hearing across the construction sector is that the, the shortage of staff is really biting and we've seen certainly um, in the Cork region people tend to to navigate to there um, if they're from anywhere around Limerick, Tipperary yes. they can navigate to, to opportunities in Cork yeah. but say for people in Mayo you know where where do where can they where can they look for opportunities? Well, say taking Kelchmaw's location, we're we're an hour from Galway City, we're an hour from Athlone, fifty minutes from Sligo, and and still say forty five minutes west to, to the beach. So it's relatively central uh, as the west of Ireland goes. And I must give a little plug to um, the IRD in Kelchmaw. They built a fantastic um, enterprise. What's, what's the IRD? So they were a, a voluntary organisation that was set up in in Kelchmaw over twenty years ago with the idea of improving the town, um, driving business or the growth of business and employment in the town. So they built a fantastic, um, uh, what's called the Cairn International Trade Centre in Kelchma. It's, it's state-of-the-art uh, office space in, in Kelchma. And that um, unit now, I think, has 90% occupancy of... Is it like a shared workspace? It, it's it, there's, there's, I think... Um, Ten or twelve independent uh, office suites in it. There's you have your your fibre broadband. Um, it's it's a modern office building, and there's a number of businesses. I think it's ninety percent occupied now, where Excellent. local businesses have grown and needed the additional space, and some some external businesses have come into the town because of that facility. 
That's great. You know, this is something actually we have explored along the West Coast, these uh, regional uh, innovation hubs or or, um, co-working hubs have started to pop up and you're showing that there's huge demand for it. You know, people are choosing quality of life. They're choosing, you know, and, and particularly if you're from the area. Yes, you know, it, it might be an aspiration to get back, so this might be a route towards it. Um, Thomas, thank you so much. There's so much to cover there, and I and I hope you'll come back again Absolutely. to talk to us. Best of luck with the project in Kilchamont. Do keep us do keep us um, up to date with that. So thank you very much. That was Thomas Campbell of TA Group. By the way, what's your website? Uh, TA Group.ie. TA Group.ie. Thank you so much. We'll take another quick break, and after this, we'll be speaking to Patrick Liddy, Customer Success Manager at Utility AR. You are listening to Dublin South FM on 93.9. Okay, I'm delighted to be joined in studio by Patrick Liddy, Customer Success Manager at Utility AR. Um, Patrick, you're very welcome to Property Matters. So tell me about Utility AR. Sure. So Utility AR is a company that builds software for augmented reality glasses. So first of all, before I tell you about the company, I'm going to have to explain what I just said there. Please do. (laughs) So augmented reality glasses are a new technology and and many would say a new paradigm in computing. But what that really means in English is um, they are transparent glasses that resemble safety glasses. Um, However, information is projected on the glass uh, so that the wearer can see digital information as well as seeing the real world as they go. Uh, They generally also have a forward-facing camera and they're connected computers. They have a computing uh, power of some sort. So what you have is a pair of glasses. uh, So you you live your life wearing safety glasses and and nothing has changed. Um, They have a forward-facing camera and that means the glasses, this computer, understands where it is in the world and can show you relevant information. So why that's of interest to us uh, as a company who builds um, software for these things is we um, can train the glasses to understand something that they've seen. So let's just imagine you're installing an air handling unit in a new building. Well, the glasses will recognize the specific air handling unit. It'll link it back to the the, the BIM system or, or, or to wherever information is about that particular um, air handling unit. And it can bring you, show, start showing you the step-by-step procedure that you would need to follow uh, to uh, install that piece of equipment. So it's actually showing you? It's showing you. So um, let me give you a, 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 an example that you would be you would understand very, very well. So uh, if you buy a newspaper and leave it on the dashboard of your car, okay, and you then proceed to look out through the glass, you could, if you focus on the glass, you could actually see the newsprint, okay? So there's an example of uh, digital information, oh, well, sorry, information being projected onto the glass. AR glasses are doing something quite similar, whereby uh, they're a little bit better than, than a newspaper on um, in your car. But what they're doing is they're projecting information, and that could be text, which describes how to do something, or it could be an image, uh, which allows you to see a schematic of what it is you want to do, or it could be playing a video clip. So what they would allow you to do is um, while you are seeing the real world and you're hands free, you're just wearing a pair of glasses, you could watch a short five second, 10 second video clip of how to do the next step in the procedure, where it is that you should plug in this cable, what um, uh, handle you should turn, wh- whatever it is that you need to do. So these days we're all becoming very accustomed 
to uh, going on YouTube, I know I am certainly, yeah. of how to change the light bulb in my car. And I, show, and I type in uh, Skoda Octavia, uh, change light bulb, and it brings me through a 20 minute video of how to do it. And what happens is, is I watch it on my phone and I watch the thing, and then I start doing the task. And then I go, oh, I can't remember how. Let me let me go back to the, the phone again. I have to walk back over and I have to start it, start and, again pause it and, and do yeah. it again and do it again. So what uh, we do is we give you a, a procedure following sort of uh, framework whereby you cut the procedure of how to um, install the light bulb in your car um, <clears throat> into into 20 steps into short, consumable little pieces of information to allow you to do it. OK, uh, First of all, before we get into the use case of this, because I can imagine that we haven't even we haven't even gotten to the tip of the iceberg of the use cases. How did you come to be in this? What's your background? Sure. So um, my background is I'm an electrical engineer um, and uh, for a gathering number of years, I've been a bad electrical engineer. Um, uh, Explain. (laughs) (laughs) No, I studied, but uh, the truth is I, I, I did a lot more stuff other than studying as well. Um, but then uh, I worked um, in a variety of jobs in the energy sector and uh, got drawn into uh, building energy efficiency software for large industrial uh, energy users. So uh, they, so, so we, what we used to do, I had a company before um, called Activation Energy. And what we used to do was um, build energy efficiency software which allowed large users to interact directly with the wholesale electricity market. So uh, I would really geek you out on energy if you let me do it. Uh, We only (laughs) have so much time. That's a particularly relevant area at the moment as well. So when did you make the move into augmented reality and when was Utility AOR established? Cool. So so that business that I had before, it required us to install lots of uh, electrical metering and control equipment. And that meant that business, we hired lots of electricians and technicians and fitters to install pieces of equipment. Um, Were you training all of these people? Well, uh, training, uh, I, I was I was setting out the work that they had to do. Yeah, uh, they were qualified people in their own uh, in their own right. But we would say, well, this is how we want it installed and this is how it should work. And uh, therefore, I wrote lots of procedures on how to uh, install things. And uh, I saw the challenge that it was to get and retain um, good staff. So uh, that business was quite successful and it was acquired by an American company. And uh, a little later on, I encountered augmented reality glasses for the first time. So just to to put out some brand names that people might have heard of, there's a thing called Microsoft HoloLens or uh, a company called Daiquiri or Google Glass. Um, and, and soon, uh, companies that have announced that they're going to be putting out glasses soon are Samsung, um, Huawei, all the best technology or biggest technology companies mm-hmm. in the world are, are moving into this space from a hardware point of view. And I went, wow, uh, I could imagine how I would use this, which was um, to help technicians and engineers get their job done. I should tell you as well, though, I've left out um, the really exciting use case. Um so when I had that business, um, we uh, were, were installing equipment all over Ireland and ultimately all over the UK as well. And there was one particular weekend where um, we had equipment being installed in Monaghan and my uh, in-laws were visiting uh, uh, my house in Dublin. And uh, I got the call. The technician team who had been installing the equipment had been there for hours and were looking at this and they just couldn't get it to work. No matter what they did, they couldn't get it to work. 
So my father-in-law and I drove to Monaghan um, to have a look at this uh, piece of equipment and try and figure out what was wrong. And I went into the electrical switch room and 30 seconds later, the problem was solved. It was simply they had something put in backwards. And so often that's the problem that and you encounter. if you had the the um, AR glasses, so, would you have been able to see that? That's right. Remotely. So the glasses allow you to do what are called remote advisor video mm. calls, which are video calls whereby the electrician who was on site could have put on the glasses, done a call back to me and um, allowed uh, me to see in real time what he was seeing. And um, would you look at that problem. through your phone? That's right. I could have pulled out my PC or on my phone, uh, pulled up what he's seeing in real time, uh, spoke to him through the glasses and the phone. And through that, would you have been able to identify this one thing that was in backwards? It, certainly in that case, I would have. Certainly in that case. But uh, then you wouldn't have had a hour and a half drive, drive with my father-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's not listening. <laughs> okay, so uh, when was that? Uh, so that that particular experience. Well, no, but when when did this kind of realization come in that you know actually there's a lot of application for this? Sure. So so this is a new technology. Yeah. Uh, I mean, um, the first of these things began to pop up about four years ago, mm -hmm. but we really uh, began this company about two years ago when when uh, 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 some of the other people who were in my team in that company are actually in this company now as well. When we saw that and we went, "Wow, light bulb moment! This mm. is this is a real opportunity for." anywhere where there are technical workers who are doing complicated tasks. Yeah. And in fact, increasingly, not so technical workers doing complicated tasks. Yeah. Well, the first time I came across yours and and tried out the glasses was at the AR VR Innovate mm -hmm. um, conference or exhibition in the RDS last yep. May. So um, I, I was blown away by this, but I was particularly interested in the work you're doing for the construction sector because... Again, this is not a sector that typically embraces uh, technology and innovation or is very quick to embrace it, although we're obviously seeing that change. So where are you now in terms of construction applications? Sure. So we've begun to work with um, some uh, consulting engineer companies. Um, we're getting a lot of interest in um, electricians and uh, electrical installation, that sort of thing. And what I'd say to you is, uh, so I've described two use cases to you there. One, which is um, procedure following, um, doing things right, following the step-by-step -step procedure. That's pretty dull. That's pretty dull. No one likes that. However, as management, we think it's very important. On the other hand, I, I, I told you about a, a video calling um, mm -hmm. tool. And that's the solution to a stressful time where you just can't get the thing to work. The example I There's gave you there. There's a failure of communication on both sides as well there, though. There is. So so what it is, what it is, is um, the example I gave to you, mm -hmm. the electrician who was there, he's a very fine electrician. He was a good guy. OK, uh, just this problem came up and he just couldn't see it. Mm -hmm. And it was very stressful for him to have to pick up, pick up the phone and call me. Or indeed, if had we tried to solve the uh, problem over the phone, that's a very stressful thing to be on either side of that phone call where mm -hmm. something isn't working. And we've all had that experience mm -hmm. in all types of parts of our lives where you're trying to say, explain to me what you're seeing. You know, um, is it the button on the left? There is no button on the left. You know, turn it clockwise, the other clockwise. These, these challenges that yeah. we have to communicate. Yeah. So what these glasses give us uh, or what this type of technology gives us is a new tool to just better better um, meet the the requirements of the problem. 
Okay. Um, on site, are construction companies using this? I, I understand, I can see from an engineering point of view at a design stage, absolutely, how this would be relevant. Um, but on site, is it actually being used in Ireland? Yes. Yes, is the short answer. Okay, and how? Like, with what applications? So, as I say, I think, I think, um, ultimately, the immediate application that is the video calling one that mm-hmm. I just spoke about. Mm-hmm. So that is very, very attractive. Where um, you have, uh, it could be a, a less experienced uh, installer who is installing something, or you want to get some feedback from your international OEM. So that that air handling unit that I'm talking to, talking about. If you want to get the guy from Italy or Germany or whatever to weigh in on um, whatever problem you're, you you have, mm-hmm. um, that's that's a very uh, interesting opportunity. And I think particularly at the commissioning phase, that's that that sort of thing uh, is is very attractive. Uh, from can you have multiple people calling in? You know, like a conference call facility. You can. You can. That's okay, right. Excellent. That's right. So I mean. I suppose as we spoke, speak about it more, what you'll probably realize is these are all things which are very familiar to us. Video calling is quite mm. familiar to us at this well, point. Well, it is now. It wasn't 10 years ago. Well, that tells you just how quickly technology moves. Mm-hmm. Okay. Where um, when I begin to show someone uh, our technology, they go, wow, this is very, very high tech. And by the end of the conversation, they're saying, is that it? What's the next thing you're going to show me? Yeah. And that's because uh, what sounds uh, extremely uh, futuristic, uh, people quickly realise this, gosh, this is going to be normal like in in matter of years. Yeah, and I, I think what's really interesting, you know, we try to dedicate, you know, one section of the show every week to prop tech and construction technologies and new applications for emerging technologies. And, you know, sometimes the feedback I get is, you know, do we have the scale in Ireland? Are people ready to adapt? And I, I've seen that change a lot in the last maybe even two years to three years, you know, uh, more than that. We were we were getting a little bit of resistance when introducing new technologies, even for uh, the purpose of testing, you know, to allow in for testing environments. Whereas now, I think um, we've moved on to the point where people are able to integrate their technologies now. So they bring in one thing and they see how the next thing can plug in. And this is this is how technology is moving. But from my perspective, I'm seeing a huge gap between those who started to embrace technology and those who haven't. And that gap is widening very quickly. So, you know, when you're dealing with construction companies, is there a profile of company that you can see who are quicker to adapt and to adopt these new technologies? Sure. So I would say um, I'm going to have to give you two answers to that. Do. So first of all, um, we sell to people, uh, not not so much to companies. Uh, And what I mean by that is, is who we're looking for to engage with in, in any company is that interested in innovation and new things and better ways to do things, individual who wants to take on this project uh, and run with it. What okay? role are they normally filling? Well, what we, you know, um, our system is set up to allow the most junior intern to get a project up and running very quickly. Um, but that said, Generally speaking, we're talking to more senior site engineers who who have uh, budget and power to move this forward. But then the second answer to that question is any uh, technology will only be successful if senior management are buying in to uh, it being embraced. 
And what I mean by that is this, is that um, uh, every one of your staff is working on 20 different things. They're just rushing, 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 trying to get things done. And even though our technology saves them a lot of time and, and energy and gets things done better, unless they're given the time uh, and space to try this out and get used to it and, and push it forward, then it won't be uh, used. Mm -hmm. So what we have experienced is our most successful companies and our least successful companies, the differentiator, the, the starting point is someone who said, yeah, we're going to do this. This is going to be great. But the differentiator between success is high level management uh, as to the degree to which they're bought in and the, their willingness to give time and space to their staff to try this out. And, and I presume it. invest in the hardware and software. Invest in the hardware and software. In truth, I think if you if you really dig in, um, the costs of most of these things is actually uh, the external costs, let's just say, mm -hmm. that my fees are quite low. Uh, the, the cost is your staff's time mm -hmm. and space to allow them to think about one new thing and uh, try and integrate that into their existing business. That's that's the what we see is the very costly side of this. Okay, see, I suppose we've seen so much in the latter part of the last decade, but now uh, we're into twenty twenty. What do you see for the for the next two to three years? How do you see technology across the construction industry being embraced? Um. So, <laughs> I suppose what I think. Um, a technology like ours is is a new form factor, okay? And we think it's a form factor that is more appropriate to digitize workers who work with their hands, okay? The the computer is fine for, for people at desks, but for men and women who work out in the site, you need an appropriate um, form factor. So we're just selling one type of software. All the other data and, and uh, informational projects that you're looking at will suddenly burst into usefulness when you give people a form factor that will allow them to consume that data. So we work with the ESB, for example, and they've been collecting terrific amounts of information for a long time. And now finally, they're going to get to use it with these sorts of technologies. That's pretty exciting. What we might do, um, Patrick, is we might check in with you again in a few months time, see how adoption rates are going. And maybe you can tell, fill us in on your latest use cases. So thank you so much for joining us. That was Patrick Liddy, Customer Success Manager at Utility AR. Thank you. Now that's it from us today in studio. Thank you for listening into Property Matters, the show where property matters. Get in touch with the show by emailing hello at iPropertyRadio.com or find us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio. Also, thank you to Peter Rice on sound and show producer Katie Tallon. We're back the same time next week from myself, Carl Tallon and all the team here. Have a great week. <laughs>